0: Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We are looking at the introduction to John's Gospel. We haven't yet begun the verse-by-verse exposition. We believe it's important to have an introduction so you get the optimal from your time invested. And why do we even need to study John's gospel? Well, because it's God's word. And when you understand the importance of God's word, that it is actually more important than food. It is a lamp to your feet. It is a light to your path. It's as good seed, engrafted into the heart that brings salvation. It is a sincere milk to the newborn Christian. It is a strong meat to the mature Christian. It is quick, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is absolutely indispensable. If we're going to have a spiritual life, and one especially that endures forever, we need to build it on the foundation of God's word, which is the truth. In an age where there's so much talk about relativism and various truths, God's word stands apart, offering what is called the absolute and ultimate truth, and that you can stake your life and your eternity on the veracity of God's word. And, you know, even for those that have never been born again, they have been the beneficiaries of the influence of God's word in Western civilization. Think, for example, the Ten Commandments, which are the foundation of Western legal jurisprudence. I mean, where did we learn that murder was wrong? Where did we learn that stealing was wrong. Where did we learn that false witness was wrong? Where did we learn that adultery and sexual sin is wrong? And not wrong because, well, God just wants to give us rules and regulations and make our life unfun. No, they're wrong because they are bad for us. They are bad for others. They are bad for the world. And we know it from the Ten Commandments. So God's word has been invaluable throughout history and as well as its transforming power in the lives of millions and millions of believers throughout the ages. We need to know God's word, and especially in times of increasing deception and delusion. In fact, a spirit of strong delusion is working in the earth today. And even though it is strong, it is defeatable. And God gives us the power to say no to deception. We can remain on the right side in the in the arena of light, rather than that of increasing darkness. For that to happen, we need the truth, God's truth. And to find God's truth is in the Holy Scriptures themselves. That's how important it is. And and John's gospel, of course, is telling not just the story of Jesus, more than that. John's gospel is an apologetic, seeking to persuade us, giving us solid, irrefutable evidence that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, ruling from David's throne, not just over Israel, but over the world with a rod of iron, and that he is also simultaneously, concurrently, the son of God. We need John's gospel. We are dependent on it without this gospel in the word of God, we would be, of course, much more impoverished. We need it all. Every word of God is pure, from Genesis 1.1 to Revelation 22.21. We need it all. Every word of God is essential. So we're getting background information in order to get the most out of this amazing gospel. We've learned about the purpose of the gospel of John. We've learned about John himself, the beloved disciple of Jesus We've learned also about the distinctives of this gospel and many other such wonderful things. Let us continue and conclude this introduction. First of all, we looked at distinctive features of John's gospel, not just the seven signs, seven I am statements, seven discourses, five witnesses. We learned about Christ's deity at the very beginning of the gospel. We learned about the divine appointment of Nicodemus meeting with Jesus and getting more than he bargained for. He got the discourse on the new birth, something that had never been mentioned before in Scripture, but is absolutely vital for our entering into the kingdom of God and getting the full benefits of the gospel. We learned that in John's gospel, there is a conflict between those who believed in the face of overwhelming evidence of jesus's messiahship and deity and those that unbelieved and continued in their unbelief and persisted even militantly to the point of betraying the son of god we learned that he gives a very long farewell from chapters 12 to 17 of john's gospel we learned about him being the great intercessor as well as the passion of christ being told in detail very great detail because of john's eyewitness account we learn about the resurrection also, and John was an eyewitness to that too, Foreordained of God. With all these distinctives, there's something else I want to add that I didn't mention before, and that is there is teaching about the Holy Spirit from the mouth of Jesus himself. He gives probably the most coverage of any gospel to the coming work of the Spirit in the life of the believer as well as in the church. We learn about the spirit coming. We learn that he will be indwelling. We learn that he will be overflowing and we know that he will be witnessing. Well, the incoming spirit, of course, is the one that helps us in the new birth. You cannot be born again without the help of the Holy Spirit. But take heart. The Holy Spirit is more keen on having people be born again than they even wanting to be born again because the spirit indeed is willing. Let's never forget that. Yes, the flesh is weak, but the cross of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the word of God in our hearts helps to overcome the frailty of failing flesh. So he's the incoming spirit of John chapter 3 and verse 5. We learn that he is the indwelling spirit. He's going to dwell not only with us, but he's also going to dwell in us as per John chapter 4 and verse 14. He is the overflowing spirit in John 7, verses 37 to 39. Jesus, of course, gives those immortal words at the great feast, that if any man is thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. He who believes, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will come rivers of living water. So we simply asked for a drink and instead We get rivers of living water. This is the overflow of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is alluded to also in the 23rd Psalm. When David writes in verse 5, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. This is a wonderful picture of baptism and fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit anoints us, for sure. That means he sets us apart, empowers, and emboldens us to do the work of God and to live victoriously as Christians. But also, he causes the cup to run over so that with the overflow out of our life, it will actually affect, beneficially, many other people. So he's the overflowing spirit. Then we learn in chapters 14 to 16, the Holy Spirit will cause us to bear witness to Christ, as well as to teach us all things and bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever Christ has commanded us. Now, let's move on from here and talk about the deity of Christ. We believe in John's gospel. The deity of Christ is affirmed in every single chapter. In chapter 1, Nathanael makes a confession to Jesus and says, Thou art the Son of God. And that's chapter 1, verse 49. in chapter 2, in the miracle of changing of the water into wine, it says that that miracle caused Christ to manifest forth his glory. And that's in verse 11. Manifest his glory. In chapter 3, and of course, verse 16, the most famous verse probably in the whole Bible, he says to Nicodemus, that he is the only begotten son of the Lord. In other words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In chapter 4, he speaks to the woman at the well from Samaria, and he basically confesses that he is the Messiah. I who speak unto thee am he. That's verse 26. In chapter 5, Of John's gospel verse 25 he gives an important disclosure that whoever hears the voice of the Son of God will receive life he also then in verse 33 of chapter 6 he admits that he is the bread of God that comes down from heaven whoever eats of this bread shall live forever in chapter 7 of John's gospel he is the water of life whoever comes to him and drinks will have the power of the Spirit, rivers of living water. And then to those that did not believe in him, in chapter 8, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. In chapter 9, to the blind man, he basically says, or asks him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he then pretty much says, I am he, to the blind man, who now could see. In chapter 10, Jesus states, I and my Father 1 and that's in verse 30 in chapter 11 in the raising of lazarus from the dead martha confesses that you are the christ and with that comes the phrase the son of god in chapter 12 he talks about if he be lifted up from the earth he will draw all men unto himself now only god can do that kind of thing, drawing people to himself, drawing people unto his son. In chapter 13 of John's gospel, he says at the supper where he's washing feet, you call me master and Lord, for so I am. In chapter 14, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. In chapter 15, He talks about being the true vine and then goes on to say in verse five, without me, you can do nothing. Again, this is implying his divinity. Chapter 16, promising the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send him unto you. Now, only God can send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is affirming his sonship. And then in chapter 17, in the prayer or master intercessory prayer to God, he says, glorify Thy son, and of course, he's talking about himself in chapter 18. In his trial, he says to Pilate and to whoever was listening, You say that I am a king. In chapter 19, in his atonement, he says, It is finished. Remember this Jesus had to be God to save us, and he had to be man to die for us. It is finished with those words, and with his atoning death on the cross. He reconciled both these aspects, his divinity to save his humanity to die for us. Then in chapter 20, to doubting Thomas, he revealed himself and Thomas replies, my Lord and my God. And then finally, chapter 21, last chapter of the gospel, John, he's telling the disciples there in Galilee, follow me. And that means all the way. Before we look at the outline of John's gospel, remember, there's some Powerful keywords. Keep these in mind as we go through the verse by verse commentary. Keywords include truth, light, word, belief, knowledge, darkness, judgment, world, abide, witness, and love. Remember, there is a high degree of focus on Jesus' Judean ministry, even though much of his ministry, as recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, happened in the Galilee. The last thing we want to do in this introduction is give an outline. We have the first part, introducing Jesus as the Son of God. And this is in chapter one. He's called the Word of God, the Creator and the Author of Life. John the Baptist is introduced and the darkness rejects Christ, but as many as receive him, they receiving the light, they become sons of God or authority to become sons of God. In Him, And also Christ becomes incarnate, meaning the Son of God puts on flesh and dwells among us, or as it actually says, the Word put on flesh and dwelt among us, and the Word was God. We see Jesus Christ being presented to the world from chapters 1 to 4, through the ministry of John the Baptist, through John's disciples, through his work in Galilee, particularly the wedding at Cana of Galilee, then, of course, his ministry in Judea. In Samaria, back into Galilee, that's again chapters one to four, but with his ministry comes opposition chapters five to twelve. It happened at the great feast in Jerusalem. He went to the pool of of bethesda healed the lame man i'm not sure that man was very grateful for what he received of jesus because he basically betrayed him into the hands of his enemies verbally speaking although this was not the beginning of the passion there is resistance in the passover time there was opposition at the feast of tabernacles from chapter 7 to 10 there was opposition in bethany with the raising of lazarus not everyone believed in jesus after that great miracle happened and then there was of course more opposition in in Jerusalem, and that's at the end of chapter 12. But Jesus then focuses up from the multitudes to the disciples in chapters 13 to 17. There is some equipping and exhortation of the disciples in the upper room where the Last Supper was held. There was also educating, edifying, and equipping en route to the Garden of Gethsemane, chapters 15 to 17. Remember that Gethsemane means oil press And this garden was the beginning of Christ's passion. And then finally, the passion in full bloom, chapters 18 to 25. Here Jesus is rejected, and then Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. This is chapter 19. And then he is buried, again in chapter 19. But in chapter 20, we get amazing coverage about the resurrection of Jesus. Remember John The author of this gospel was an eyewitness and an enthusiastic witness at that. Finally, there's Christ's post-resurrection appearances in much of chapter 20 and in chapter 21, which is the last chapter of John's gospel. So there we have it, the summary of this gospel of John that is teaching us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah the son of David, the king that will rule the world from David's throne, and that he is simultaneously the son of God. So from here, we will begin with chapter one of John's gospel with the verse by verse commentary.